0: Hello everybody and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to Romans chapter 16. We are going to be beginning in the 17th verse. Today is very special. This is the last upload for the Romans series for the time being. We will have gone through this whole book verse by verse well several times actually because we always read the passage and then reread it and then re-re-read several verses in connection to each passage and it's been just about a whole year of going through romans now i understand some listening to this are going to say that's not enough you are correct There was one Pope that had the Book of Romans read to him every single day while he was in office as the Pope. If memory serves correct, he did so while there were these big, like, fires next to him. He was trying to keep warm from a habitual illness with fires. And as he had the Book of Romans read to him while he was next to these fires, uh, plague rats avoided him. So I personally think this is the provision of God, because he avoided the bubonic plague while it was at its height, the Black Plague, and coincidentally was reading Romans every single day. I don't think that's a coincidence. I believe this book of Holy Scripture, the closest thing you can get to a systematic theology textbook in the Bible, is so important that God wanted somebody to read it every day, and he preserved his life during that time. Uh, Now, maybe that's a tall tale, but I digress. This is an extremely pure gospel message from St. Paul the Apostle, and I guarantee you at some point we will have to come back to it as we start to talk about the other perspectives and why they're wrong, why Luther is right, etc., and so forth. But for today, we will just read the rest of this book, go over what we read in detail, and call that a series for now. Let's go ahead and start in the 17th verse. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen and amen. That is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Verses 17 through 20 are instruction, further instruction. Then verses 21 through 23 are some last greetings. Finally, verses 25 through 27, it may be labeled doxology in your Bible. That's not part of the Bible, the little labels they put over passages. I would prefer to say that this is a benediction in addition to a doxology, but we'll get into that in a bit. Verse 17. I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Now, what is somebody who causes divisions or creates obstacles contrary to doctrine. I consider that to be two separate groups that can also be one group. If somebody causes a division or heresias, remember the word heresy comes essentially from division, dividing the body of Christ. Typically we refer to that in terms of doctrine. You take the church and you split it, into real church and fake church, based on a heretical doctrine that damns people. Sometimes that is from obstacles contrary to the doctrine that we have been taught. A good example of this would be, say, Arianism. The belief that Jesus Christ is not God, but he's just a really, really powerful being that God the Father created. That is an obstacle, because everybody in the church was a Trinitarian up until different heresies cropped up, like Ebionitism and Arianism, that were stumbling blocks, obstacles that divided and split the church. However, there are also cases in which somebody is just a cantankerous butthole, and they cause divisions from there. Remember, St. Paul is writing to the Roman Church that has this Jewish-Gentile divide going on with various people angrily arguing with each other over who maintains or gets the legacy of the Old Testament. And, of course, in the letter St. Paul has been teaching us that the Church is the new Israel. Everybody in the Church has that heritage of the Old Testament, it properly belongs to Christians. That's not necessarily going to end the conflict, just because St. Paul gave the definitive word as an apostle writing the word of God. People could still argue with one another. People could still look down on others or try to exert too much influence over the church when they are not a spiritual authority. Others might arrogantly consider themselves to be the white blood cells of the church, maybe hiding under a shield called polemics, where they are able to point and shriek at everything they don't like, hurl anathemas for any single disagreement, and claim that they are righteous for doing so, when in fact, they just don't know when to fight or when to keep one's peace. Of course, St. Paul is not saying that if you stand up for the truth, you are causing division. St. Paul is brothers with Athanasius, who came a few centuries later. He is spiritual brothers with him. Because Athanasius, contra mundi, he went against every false teacher of his day. That's what he did. And I'm sure there were tons of people telling him, "But, but Romans said that I should avoid you because you're causing division. Well, Athanasius says, no, I'm standing up for the truth. And Athanasius is right. You are not causing division if you stand up for biblical orthodoxy in the face of false teaching. You are, however, causing division when you turn a molehill into a mountain, when you point and shriek at everything and claim that it is for Orthodoxy. For instance, let's say that there is a mother in your church, one of the church moms, that likes to do yoga. She enjoys stretching. She enjoys feeling good about herself, getting her exercise in. And she talks about it one day at church. And then the older church lady says, that is demonic trash. Oh my goodness, we have an epidemic of evil heresy in this church if we have church moms that like to do the ugly Hindu practice of yoga. And of course, maybe the church mom tries to cool this down saying, well, actually I looked into it and it was European gymnastics people that invented what's called yoga today. There's a lot of history with how it came to the Raj, but for the most part, yoga, as it's called today, came from Sweden. Ah, But there is no satisfying the old lady that wants division, wants to fight, wants to make a big crusade out of it, and she tells everybody in the church what a horrible occultist the church mom is for doing down dog three times a week. Worse yet. How about the guy that hates the pastor and tries to turn the church against him through rumors and other means? Oh, yes. We're all familiar with that one, aren't we? Especially in a lot of Baptist churches. My goodness, are they just the best at church splits. <laughs> but I digress. So, yes, there is a difference between Hyresias as more civic or On the ground, Coramundo splits for various weird reasons. But then there is Hyresias as in obstacles to the faith that keep people from being saved. Those people who are teaching such heresy as to murder souls, barring people from heaven that believe their teachings, they need to be marked and avoided by the entirety of the church up to the point of expelling them. Now, during this time, when something like that happens, those who are in the middle of exposing their falsehoods, their heresies, will be called heretics. Or at least they will be said to be causing divisions, splitting the church because they're just so mean and they don't like peace. Uh, As it was with Athanasius, as it was with Luther. Anytime somebody stands up to speak the truth, to stand up for the Bible, they get called divisive. And you should expect that because that's one of the devil's favorite things to do, is accuse you of what he's doing. Whenever somebody introduces false doctrine into the church that will result in a split, it is the false teacher that is divisive, not the people raising the alarm about it. But that doesn't give us an excuse to always have cantankerous polemicist mode on. Heaven forbid. There are some people that are just so addicted to that at this point that they couldn't stop even if they wanted to. They just chase away other Christians until they are left alone. Such a person, St. Paul says, well, you got to mark and avoid them. So if you're a guy that likes doing polemics and that likes standing up for the truth and so on and so forth, please cool down every now and then. But I digress. In verse 18, St. Paul gives us some examples. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So somebody who is a heretic in terms of dividing the church over any matter at all, or somebody who is a heretic proper, we might say, somebody introducing false, damning doctrine into the church, all those people, they don't serve Jesus. They don't worship Jesus. They don't care. What they care about is their own appetites, their own belly, things that they like. Remember, the flesh is often used as the catch word for our old Adam, our old nature, and the belly is used in the same way. Whenever St. Paul talks about somebody worshiping their belly or serving their belly, he's saying this person's personal desires that come from the old Adam. Their desire for some sort of satisfaction of the flesh is causing that. In his day, there were the Judaizers who wanted their national and racial pride to supersede Holy Scripture. There were the Nicolaitans where, according to church tradition, Nicholas said it was necessary for a man to copulate once a day in order to be saved because he was worshipping his sexual appetite. In our day, it's not much different. And we have plenty of false teachers today living, walking around, doing their thing and trying to influence people that should be marked and avoided. But they do use smooth talk, he says, and flattery. They want to make you feel smart. They want to sound slick. Apollinarius is a good example of this. In church history, he was known as being very slick, very persuasive sounding. He was a good debater because he was kind of fun to be around. He was a great public speaker. And, while well, he was teaching damnable heresy through what is now called Apollinarianism. So St. Paul says, you got to be warned about these people. They're going to seem great, and maybe they'll flatter you too. Oh, they'll make you feel so good about yourself, but it's poison. They need to be marked and avoided. So in verse 19, he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. We, as Christians, do well to study apologetics, so we understand the truth of the Christian faith, how rooted Christianity is in reality, because it is true, and also we do well to study rhetoric. How is somebody making their case to me, and how do I understand whether it's good faith or bad faith? Whether there's some sort of logical hole in it, or are they just appealing to my emotions to get me in a certain mood for their argument? Huh. We better know these kinds of things so we can quickly get rid of evil in our midst. Bad teachings and divisive persons that are really divisive. From there, in verses 21 through 23, St. Paul tells us, uh, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Okay, Pastor Timothy was a traveling companion with St. Paul, and during this time, so were Lucius and Jason and Susipiter, his kinsmen. And whenever he says kinsmen, he's referring to fellow uh, Jewish converts to Christianity. He was fond of his people, nothing wrong with that. In verse 22, we're going to get something a little confusing here. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Whenever people who have never heard of an amanuensis hear that verse, they go, wait, I thought St. Paul wrote this. Who's Tertius? Why isn't he in, like, anything in the Bible? Like, why don't we say this is Tertius's epistle of Romans? Tertius was serving as an amanuensis which properly understood, is like a scribe, a stenographer. In ancient Greece and ancient Rome, an Amunwensis was somebody that you would dictate letters to, and Tertius was doing this for Saint Paul. He is the one kind of writing everything down as Saint Paul says it. Saint Paul reviews what he's writing, and they have conversations over it. That's how they did it back in that day, especially for St. Paul, who most people theorize that St. Paul had some sort of ailment in his eyes and thus wasn't able to write as well as he wanted to. He needed to use an amanuensis because he couldn't proofread his own stuff all that well, at least if the eye condition theory is true. But another thing to consider is that St. Paul was in and out of jail a lot. He got arrested quite often for preaching the gospel. He was persecuted all the time, and they would allow visitors, but they probably wouldn't let him have a scroll and some ink and a quill. So Ammonenses, these guys like Tertius, a righteous man in the Lord, they come in to help out. Uh, Moving on, it says Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Gaius is the guy who has the house church. Erastus being a city treasurer means that the city Paul is in that he's writing from at this time is doing pretty well in terms of the gospel spreading if government officials are also coming to the faith. That's really good. Now, you'll notice if you have an ESB Bible and some other Bibles, they might not have verse 24 for silly reasons. Verse 24 writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I couldn't tell you why bigwigs in academia are arguing about this verse, whether it belongs or does not belong in the canon of Scripture but it is so inconsequential that it's not worth fighting over, I say, let's go ahead and include it. Now on to the benediction doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a nice little run-on sentence there, isn't it? But it is incredibly powerful for St. Paul to put his apostolic seal of authority on this. Because he says, to God, that is, to him who is able to strengthen you, to God who will help you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Which then he goes in describing everything he just wrote. He tells you what this is, what the book of Romans is. The revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So the Old Testament does not preach the gospel with the clarity that the New Testament does. St. Paul is saying that now the apostles of the Holy Church, who would count as prophets, are giving the revelation of the mystery to everybody now that God has revealed it. So it has also been made known to all nations, using the word ethnoi, that is, all races. Not just for the Jews, not just for certain Gentiles in the city of Rome. St. Paul is saying, this is for everybody. And he underlines that by saying it is according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, the gospel is now being revealed to everybody so that everyone in the entire world can be brought to the obedience of faith, listening to the invitation to be saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And then St. Paul praises our God, saying to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The whole epistle of Romans kind of summarized here. St. Paul says this is the epistle. Praise God for it. (laughs) In capping off an entire year of going through Romans, we got to say, this is the series, and we praise God for it. Can't wait to catch all in a couple weeks when we start going over the book of Job. Amen and amen.